right place. This is The Suicide Prevention Show. We are here to help you make it a great day by inviting you into our world. In our world, we are making suicide a thing of the past. And to help me do that, our next speaker is Brenda Jacobson. And Brenda Jacobson is coming in right now. So if you don't know neuro gamification, don't worry. Most of us don't. I had never heard the term until I met Brenda. So we're going to be talking about this game changer that's changing the game of how business gets done in the C-suite and maybe even in your living room. All right, Brenda. Woo! There we go. Something just happened. I don't see myself. I didn't turn my camera on. That's why. There I am. Hey, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? <laughs> I am well. Good. You're good. You're putting on a great show for us. Well, thank you very much. You guys make it possible. So, Brenda, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. We're about to go into a world that I knew nothing about. This idea of neurology and games. And I just want you to walk people through how this story came about because you hadn't heard about it either until you needed it. I had not. I had not. Um, it, so my background is, is corporate business strategy, corporate finance, CFO, CEO level for 20 years. And then in 2009, um, I fell down a mountain. So I skiing caught an edge and I fell 3,000 feet down a mountain and uh, my life changed. It took me five years to recover from that. And when I look back on that, my body actually recovered in about two years. It was the emotional crap that kept me stuck for the additional three years. I didn't know that at the time, but it was depression. It was anger. You know, I was angry that my life had changed. I liked my life. I didn't want my life to change. And, you know, without, without my consent, my whole life changed on me. And so there was a lot of anger. There was disgust at what my body would and wouldn't do anymore. Um, you know, a lot of fear around how am I going to exist? How am I going to support myself? Um, a lot of my friends disappeared because I spent two years not being able to communicate with them. And so a lot of sadness around that. So all of those emotions kept me very stuck for an additional five years. And really they hung over for probably almost 10 years from that. But in the, the end of that five years was when I tried to go back into my CFO stuff. And uh, yeah, this, that just didn't work. So I started looking at what was missing when I was recovering. What was it? You know, I had to rebuild every aspect of my being, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Everything had to be rebuilt, recalibrated. And there wasn't a tool out there that uh, helped me address all of those things in one in one shot i had to go multiple different directions and i did not have the bandwidth to uh -huh. do that i couldn't walk across my i couldn't walk from my living room to my kitchen without resting in the dining room so you know there was not a lot of energy to put into searching for solutions and um so that was the seed that turned into this okay so that's about 
as bad as it gets. You know, when you can't walk from your living room to your kitchen without having to rest in the dining room. How old were you? Oh, I would have been in my early 50s. Okay, so at an age when we would normally expect to have a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah. And, and where life is, life is just starting to, yeah, you know, like I should be starting to wind down and uh, enjoy, enjoy the fruits of my labor. Some of the things that you've done. So in that moment, a seed was born. And what happened next? Well, you know, it's hard to explain because it did not. I was so used to operating from my left brain. Finance is very rigid, very rational, logical. I didn't spend a lot of time in the right brain in that creative, innovative side. However, what happened during that time was I got very connected to my heart. And, and my right brain. And what, what the real difference for me was I started leading from the heart and having, and having the brain support it. They're leading from the right brain and having the left brain in a support instead of the other way around. Ah. Um, really, I, I can't explain to you the number of arguments I had with myself in meditation <laughs> about left brain going, we can't do it this way. We got to make money. We got to put food on the table and the Right brain going, I don't care. We're going this direction. And, um, and it was very different for me to, to kind of let that left brain take a back seat to that drive forward. That was the really big change for me. Um, but it led, to, it led to where we are today. And I have to admit that there was not a plan in place. There weren't goals that I could achieve and tick off. I had no idea from day to day what I was going to be doing next. Wow. Okay, so, that's a big shift from the yeah. world of uh, numbers and dates. You know, things have to be filed by a certain date. Yeah. Talk about a goal-achieving machine. Anybody in finance has yeah. all of these goals that constantly, all of these benchmarks. Yeah, and so, absolute control over your world. Yeah, and, and let's face it. One of the things that money does is it gives us more control over the world. Even if we're working with money within a company, it gives the company. Yeah more options for how they can deliver services and good. Yeah. So when all of that went away and you shifted over here without any of that structure, yeah. what happened? Do you know, what was really funny is I remember one day in September of 2016 in meditation, just saying, I can't do this. Like I am not qualified. Take this project to somebody who is qualified to do it because I am not qualified. And that night, I started watching a movie. It was a documentary called The Moses Code. Oh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome film. And I had no idea how I came about watching that because I'm not a movie person. I don't even know where I found it. Um, but it was very interesting. And I watched it. And at the very end, the um, narrator said, told a story about when he was pulled in a direction that he was not qualified to go in. Hmm. And he said, what you have to understand is that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And oh, it just, it still sends chills through me because it was just that morning where I was saying, I am not qualified. Take this away from me. Make, give it to somebody else. And so that was a huge message for me. And that was where I kind of let go and just went along for the ride and followed everything, followed my heart. Every step was guided by, you know, something else 
well, I say something outside of me, but something from deep within me, I think is more accurate to, um, to move forward with this. And it's, uh, I, I seem to be living okay without money. I'm still eating. I'm still paying my mortgage and I have no idea how, but it is definitely a passion project for me. So there's a passion project side that supports you. And when it supports you, it supports you totally, even if you don't know how. Yeah, absolutely. So Marnie caught your quote, which is lovely. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And that quote is from the Moses Code. I don't know if it was Neil Donald Walsh, but he's the one who I remember being in that movie. I and mean, there were several really amazing. Debbie Ford was in that movie, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it was a great line that gets rid of something that is pervasive in our society. And I don't know about, you know, this from the CFO perspective, if you see this in the boardrooms, but I certainly see it in the entrepreneurial space. And yeah. it's this fear of being the wrong person for the job. The oh, fear absolutely. Of being qualified. And that fear is absolutely impacting, imprisoning people's ability to feel, to engage, to succeed in the world. Yeah. So let's, tell me about how you ended up, because there's a big difference between coming into a boardroom as a CFO, yeah, and, and even a CFO for hire, and coming into a boardroom with neurogamification. So take us, take us down that road. <laughs> well, going into the boardroom as a CFO being a female is very different than going into the boardroom as a CFO being male. Um, I decided even before my accident, I decided rather than pretending that I was a man and hoping that nobody noticed that I was a woman, which is how, which is, you know, where women came from, you know, you showed up in the boardroom and just hope that you kind of fit in. Mm -hmm. And finally, I just said, ah, heck with it. I don't care. I'm going to be me. And that was where things started to really turn around for me. I didn't really care what they thought of me. And when I showed up there authentically and vulnerably, mm. I changed boardrooms. I changed companies. I had CEOs coming to me. Um, talking about karma, <laughs> talking about, and I just blew my mind. Like I, I would have all of the executives sitting in my office talking to me. When I went on holidays, it drove the, the receptionist when I came back said, thank God you're here. Like these guys are like lost little boys here. And I thought, isn't that interesting that they, um, they found such safety in that authenticity yeah, and that vulnerability. It gave them permission to be that way on their own. So I'd already experienced that level of it. Um, what we do, um, again, by accident, not, not deliberately, I, I shortly after that episode of, of qualifying the called, um, I connected with Ed, who is now um, my, my founding partner and the CEO of the company, but he was, he was the gamer. He had developed the games. He, um, he does all the research, all the game development. He's absolutely brilliant. Mm. And, um, and because we have completely opposing skill sets, it makes for a really well-rounded company. 
And so, you know, we go in there with, we, we took on the, the neural gamification platform. Okay. And now we can go into those companies and create a psychologically safe place for them to do what I was doing without a tool. <laughs> just on my own. Just so, so what was happening out of sheer resonance because of yeah. your willingness to be authentic yeah. was now happening with some assistance, some actual tangible tools. Yeah, with a structure in place. Structure. And what happens with the games, when people play the games and they pull a random emotion card, they don't have to own that emotion. They may not feel angry right now mm -hmm. or frustrated right now. All they have to do is connect the, the neural pathway to that emotion in that time. So we just have them say, I feel frustrated when I think about, because uh, there's been a time in all of our lives when we've been frustrated. It might not be now but they can tap into that. And then they start to share really authentically. And what we found was that when we brought the games in, people would play them and have fun, but the first couple of rounds were very superficial. And then somebody within that group was willing to be vulnerable and they would take a deep dive and then everybody else would follow. And then the conversation got very real. And we can take that in now and put it into the context of a challenge that any company is having and every company is different. So the interventions that we do on a corporate level are very different depending on what the outcome is that the company is looking for. But if it's revenue, for example, we took on a client that, you know, they wanted to close more sales. They were, you know, they were fin struggling financially. More and near and dear to almost every company I've ever worked with. It is. It's, it's you know, I mean, we can't survive without, without money. It's, it's a real part of our lives. We had, we had the goal of teaching, um, helping people develop their emotional intelligence skills and their conversation skills. Mm -hmm. But we could do that within the context of sales. Uh, of yeah. here's, here's the foundational elements. Let's practice those. Now, now that we have those, practiced let's take them into the context of a sales call got it and um and so we did that with them and within that month they closed more sales that month than they had closed in any of the previous 20 years that they'd been in business in one month and um and it was all it was simple people had fun doing it they didn't know their brains were changing <laughs> That's the neural gamification part. I'm going to go ahead and drop the link for people. Now, don't go lost in the weeds over there because there's a free course there that you can start deep diving into this and learn about these games. But I just want you to have the link right now. So just click it or copy it, but, but come back. Um, <laughs> the value of this conversation, the value of this one example. First, uh, guys, you know, um, what would your life be like if doing something that was fun made it possible for you in your business or in your family? Because let's face it, it's all sales. When you're trying to get kids to do chores or do homework, it's mm -hmm. a sales job and a half. Yeah. So what would your life be like if that skill just started coming to you easily because you played a card game? I mean, that's, that number is pretty astronomical. We're talking about more, 
Now, maybe I misunderstood you. You're talking about more sales in one month than in any other month in 20 years or more sales in one month than in the total 20 years? Any, in between those, more sales in that one month than any of the annual sales for each of those 20 years. Okay, got it. For, then in any 12 months preceding. Yeah, any 12 it. month yeah. period. I wanted, so, to, I wanted to make sure that I understood the, yeah. the numbers. All right, so more in a month than they had in any year of their history. Yeah. Got it. That's huge. And a lot of that is because, and I've heard you say this so many times, is people don't buy on logic. They don't buy on, on the intellectual, rational mm -hmm. features of a product. They buy emotionally. And when you can connect and build a relationship with that person, and that's all we're doing through conversation. Mm -hmm. is, and, and emotionally intelligent conversation teaches you how to build those relationships very, um, very naturally and authentically. And it's the no like, and trust factor, right? When you're being authentic with somebody and you're authentically interested in them, you know, they trust you. That's true. That's true. Um, that no like and trust factor, as you know, is where I, I live and breathe with the advocate training program. But in the boardroom, it's something that they don't talk about. They kind of, it's like the unspoken secret. You know, we're all on the board. We're all in this room. There's an assumption that we know each other. Yes. That in it, that's a huge assumption. There's also an assumption either way, either we all like each other or we don't have to like each other to work together. Right. You know, either one of those assumptions trip up in the boardroom, the oh, in yeah. anywhere. Yeah. And absolutely. There's a lack of trust or there's there, there's the assumption of trust. Yeah. But how many companies actually have trust in their executives and employees? I mean, and there's a study done. I, I have it on my computer. I can't remember who did it. Um, I'll have to look it up, but it was empathy in the workplace. They did a study on empathy in the workplace and they studied it around the globe. And what they found was uh, not, that 92% of the CEOs that they, sorry, that they interviewed for the study um, acknowledged that empathy was a competitive advantage for them and that it would impact their bottom line. But 58% of them didn't really know what it was or how to develop and use it. Like there, that's a huge breakdown. When you know that something is going to make your company stronger and more competitive, but you don't really know what that thing is or what to do about that, I'm like, that's well, a huge gap. Empathy. Now, if I know empathy is going to help me make more money and I go and Google how to get more empathy, I'm going to imagine that there's going to be a lot of conceptual, maybe woo-woo kinds of conversations yeah. going on, but not a lot of tangible tools. No, not, not a, that you can effectively, because empathy isn't something that you can learn on the left brain. It doesn't live on the left brain. So you can read all the books, you can read all the websites, you can read and read and read and study and try to learn it. And you will not, it's like riding a stationary bike. Got You're it. not going to get anywhere with it. 
It's something that actually has to be practiced and experienced in order for you to develop that muscle. It's like going to the, it's like, it's like thinking that you can read a book on, on bodybuilding and end up with a really powerful body without going to the gym. <laughs> I wish it was true. I wish it was true, but it's not. But empathy is very much the same way. Yeah, there we go. Empathy is very much the same way. You're not going to learn it from a book. All right. No, no. But you can learn it from cards, apparently. You can, very easily. Yeah, that's, that's just so bizarre in my brain, Brenda. Yeah. When you first walked into a boardroom with this new venture that you were on, because now you're not coming in as a CFO, you're coming in as the authentic, authentic connection kind of, yeah. yeah. I don't know what you, what did you call yourself? Just out of curiosity. You know, I, I don't know that I, I, I went through existing networks and I went in on the, on the CFO ticket, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what I explained to them is that as a CFO, what I learned was that the people part of the organization was what drove the bottom line. Oh, it wasn't the other way around. And if they could understand from that left brain budgetary pos position yeah. that your culture, your people, your engagement, your turnover rates, that's what drives your bottom line. Those people are going out to your customers. Those people are developing your IP. Mm -hmm. Those people are doing everything within the corporate walls. And if they are not healthy and they are not empowered and engaged, mm -hmm. you're losing your bottom line is, is struggling with it. That's what I went in with. I just, yeah. And plain and simple. And then I had to introduce the cards and say, Hey, just explore this with me. And what, what, what we know with people right now is that neuroscience is the hottest exploration group out there. The hottest topic in scientific studies is understanding. We used to, we used to think the brain was just a static piece of meat in our body mm -hmm. that we were stuck with. Now we know that it is malleable. It is, it's pliable. We can, you know, it's plastic. It's, you're hearing that neuroplasticity. It can be trained up until the day we die. We can improve our brain function especially oh, on the emotional intelligence side of it. Wow. I had no idea that, and, and neuroscience is the correct way to, okay. Yeah. So if neuroscience is the hottest topic out there and it's possible to really, I mean, I've been a proponent of what I call brain retraining and this was before yeah. I met you. I had no clue that it was going to become the hottest topic. Yeah. You know, um, I just knew that it got more people engaged in conversation than when I called it stress management. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then when we can do it through games, um, because the, the game dynamics, so we, we pair neuroscience with game dynamics. That's the neural gamification piece. And when you combine those things, you're taking advantage of all the new science on how the brain operates but you're using games to access each of those parts of the brain. And when you can use the game dynamics, it, mm -hmm. it impacts the learning and retention centers of the brain very differently than any other, than any other strategy. You know, yeah. listening to somebody give a lecture, reading a book, taking a course, games just have a much different impact on the brain. So we can affect learning much quicker. 
Got it. So playing the game, um, the idea that it's a game. Um, there's a lady who wrote several books. Her name's Cherie Carter Scott. And when I found her first book, it was If Love is a Game, These are the Rules. And it was a great book, had great tangible tools for yeah. how to change this whole relationship mess that we tend to find ourselves in. Um, and then she went into, her first book was actually, If Life is a Game, These are the Rules. And her rules, her 10 rules for living came, went into the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. And they oh, didn't even know who wrote it. You know, and mm. then they gave her credit when they did the next edition because somebody said, hey, you know those belong to, yeah. So the idea that it's a game. And if we're playing a game, wouldn't it be nice to know the rules? Yeah. You know, it would be so much less stressful if we knew the rules. So the yeah. rules of the game of success are that the more authentic you can be, the more comfortable you can be in your own skin, the easier it's going to be to win. Whatever yeah. winning means to you, because you're going to actually know what that is. Yeah. And most of us don't have a personal definition of success. No. And you know, it's, it's really interesting in game theory, there, there's, there's two different theories. And one of them is that win-lose game. And the other one is just this perpetual game where everybody wins. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like and, the difference between playing Monopoly and playing cash flow in the money world. Yeah. Yeah, in, in Monopoly, the goal of the game is to make everybody else go bankrupt. There's a real right. win-lose there. Matter of fact, that game was actually designed to teach the evils of capitalism. Oh, interesting. And then it became what was used to teach capitalism, which is, you know, ironic. <laughs> That's our world for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, and so then in cash flow, it's all about your personal journey. There is no comparison. There's no relationship to other yeah. people other than just who gets their dream first, but that doesn't even end the game. Yeah. You know, everybody yeah. else just keeps playing until they get their dream. So we're seeing this shift even in board games that this journey to a spectrum of it's possible for everyone to win. What yeah. would your life be like if you felt safe, secure, and grounded in the knowledge that it's possible for everyone to win? Yeah. We know, and that takes us into that leadership realm where um, you the definition of a leader, there's different definitions of, of leaders. Mm -hmm. The one that we like to go by is that a leader is that person that has the influence to create other leaders. Ooh, so like it isn't about, the leader isn't the one that is telling everybody what to do and basically disempowering people and yeah. building their empire below them. The leader is really one that's trying to work themselves out of a job by creating more powerful leaders coming up underneath them. And yeah. when we can go into a corporation and, and, you know, it's not every corporation that's going to be open to that. Mm. Most of the younger ones that are, that are the upcoming ones that are run by millennials and we see different cultures in there, even, even running by Gen X, as opposed to the, the baby boomer philosophy, we see mm. the culture changing, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's, that's where I grew up. Um, but you know, we see that philosophy changing. So we see more and more companies looking at culture, looking at engagement, looking at vulnerability and all of those things are starting to become 
um, real within that corporate world. Yeah, it, and thank God. I mean, this is part of the global shift. Um, I live near a town that has a road called Onico. It's actually got a community called Onico. What that is, is one company. Because there was one company that everybody worked for. And this was the road that led to the one company in town that employed people. And when there was only one company, you didn't have to worry about culture. You didn't have to worry about loyalty. You didn't have to worry about engagement. You just had input and output and the bottom line. And people knew that they didn't have any other choice. You know, the, the entrepreneurialism was not a thing back then. Yeah. And so now we're in an age where, hey, you, know, you can go independent. Look at what's happened to major league sports. You know, you can go independent. You can negotiate your own contract. You yeah. can be a consultant rather than an employee. You can become an entrepreneur rather than a consultant. We have this whole plethora of options for how we do a livelihood, even if they're doing the exact same task. Yeah. The, the, the title has changed in our ability to maneuver. Now, a company's got to look at why would somebody work with us? Why would someone want to work for us rather than our competitor? And it has to be about more than money because we've shifted into the land of significance. Absolutely. And that's, and that's really evident with the younger generations coming in. I've had CEOs come to me and say, I don't know what to do. You know, we pay them more than anybody else. We keep doubling their salary. We half their workload. We don't know what to do to engage this generation. And I said, you know, you're, you're coming at it all wrong. Like all of the tools that we have collected in our toolbox over the years are totally useless for the, the new oh, world. No, you're going to make me, I feel like you're making me throw out my toy box. That's <laughs> you that got, you got to read. You got to yeah. reinvent your toy box. Okay. So what's the first step? Well, you know what? It's, it really, everything comes down to, to me, the emotional intelligence is the foundation of everything because the world, you know, when we look at those, at those IQ skills, those logical, rational skills, robotics and artificial intelligence are taking over and they're doing a bang up job of those things. People are losing market share if that's, the basis of their companies and they're starting to wake up even this is the work that we're doing in China they're losing manufacturing jobs they're they see them disappearing and they're the ones that came to us and said we need to develop soft skills and we don't know how to do that nobody in our country because you know they've been an emotionally suppressed society for so long this is this is their words coming to us we don't have anybody that can teach us those soft skills so we see this happening all over the world, not just in North America. We see this happening globally, that soft skills are, you know, they, they just are the foundation of everything. When um, talent, was it talent smart? No. World Economic Forum, I think, came out with a top 10 um, skills that CEOs will be looking for in the future. And emotional intelligence was on there. But when you looked at all of those skills, Emotional intelligence was the foundation for all of them, for innovation, for creative problem solving, for negotiations, for people management. You know, it wasn't a standalone skill. It was the underpinnings of everything that you're doing 
in a corporation. So the number one step for a leader for me is start understanding emotional intelligence, start developing it. Empathy is a very big piece of emotional intelligence. Start developing those skills within you because they, they say that for kids, emotional intelligence is caught, not taught. Mm -hmm. But this is true for all people. If you have an emotionally intelligent leader, people within your organization are going to naturally become more emotionally intelligent or they're going to leave. Ah, okay. You know, but you're going to build that from the top down, that culture of emotional intelligence, of empathy, of vulnerability, of courage. That's going to come from the top. Okay, so that's really interesting. Um, the journey that you just said about what's going to happen. If you work for a company that has embraced this concept of emotional intelligence, has embraced the concept of empathy impacting the bottom line and looking to increase that, you just by working there, just by working in that community, just by being part of a community, your social emotional skills are going to improve and increase. They will, yeah. Really and, and there's brain science behind that. There's mirror neurons in our brain that when, when you've got a disorganized brain talking with an organized brain, the disorganized brain will naturally become organized. There's science behind that. Okay, so I don't think of empathy as being an organized kind of thing. For me, it, it almost seems like the opposite of that, but what you're saying is the effect is the same. If somebody yeah. has a more empathetic uh, brain, meaning they, they, they have a strong sense of empathy, yeah. that anyone who doesn't have a strong sense of empathy who comes into that sphere, is their brain is gonna start, I think, um, resonating with yeah. that. So that's, that's super simple. Hey, yeah. Well, that makes it easy. It yeah. does. And, and so let me clarify, when I talk about organized brain, I think what you heard was left brain, rational, organized, organizational stuff. Oh. Where when I talk about organized brain, it is just using your brain the way that nature intended us to use our brains. Instead mm -hmm. of getting, you know, instead of getting triggered and scared back into that amygdala where we're in fight, flight, or freeze, which many of us operate in, oh. being stay in that prefrontal cortex in the CEO of the brain and use all parts of the brain circuit the way it was meant to. That's an organized brain. Thank you for clarifying because that is a little different than where my mind went. You know, I'm, I, I'm right with you. <laughs> yeah, left. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> Organization, it's over here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's a compartment. But what you're saying is that an organized brain has access to all of the compartments of the brain. It's not about, you know, putting things in little boxes. It's about having them communicate. Right. When we teach, when we talk about emotional intelligence, that's really the what. But we move on to emotional resilience, emotional agility, which is the when. We move into the how, which is the social emotional responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, how am I reacting? How, how do I want to be reacting? What's appropriate for me to react? So rather than reacting, responding, mm -hmm. which is the, the root of responsibility is how do I, how do I take this emotion and respond appropriately with it? Mm -hmm. And then that moves us into social emotional maturity, where mm -hmm. at that point, once we've developed those other parts of the brain, 
At that point, we can answer the question, who am I, who do I want to be, and who do I want to be me with? Oh, whoa, Most whoa. people Ask start there. Again. Ask those questions again. In, in the fourth quadrant that we look at, we ask, who am I? Okay. So who am I being? Who do I want to be? And who do I want to be me with? So who is my tribe? And when you can get to that place, you can't get there without developing emotional intelligence, emotional resilience, agility, responsibility. You have to have all of those pieces in place before you can actually say, here's how I want to show up in the world. And here's how I'm going to contribute. You can't get there from a place of, of low EQ. Okay. So um, you being emotional intelligence. It's, yes. Yeah. All right. So yeah. they use EQ because EI didn't have. EQ is, is the measurement of emotional intelligence. It's your emotional quotient. Just like IQ is your intellectual quotient. Mm -hmm. And now they're talking SQ, which is your spiritual quotient. You've got all of these um, different, different um, intelligences within the brain that they've discovered in different ways of. Okay, so IQ, intellectual quotient, EQ, emotional intelligence quotient, yeah. SQ, spiritual intelligence quotient. quotient. We're going to need a BQ for the yeah. body intelligence quotient. <laughs> yeah, there, there, it's probably out there. There's a, there's a number of different intelligences. And these, these are all things that we've taken this neuroscience and we have programmed them into the cards. So uh -huh. we take, we have... I, got, I think we're up to 23 different decks of cards that we take people from very basic skills and we level them up step by step by step. We don't take them from here and say, oh, you need to be here. Yeah. You know, so many of the, of the programs will say, what's your purpose? You know, what's your purpose? Define your purpose. What's your why? Let's discover your why. Well, you can't discover that until you've actually developed the brain circuits to give you that information so that you can discover it. Okay, so I'm, I'm just, the analogy that popped into my head, because I like really concrete things, is yeah. what you're describing is that you can't put a request into the library for that book until you actually know how to drive to the library or how to contact the library. Right. You, have, you have to build the communication before yeah. you can make the request. Did I get it? Yeah, and you have to know what book it is that you want to put the request in for. Oh, well, there's a detail. <laughs> yeah. There's a detail. It's like not knowing that you need empathy. No. That, that, that having more empathy makes it easier to succeed. That is such a wonderful, simple, simplistic understanding. And then it goes into, well, wait a minute. Where, I haven't been to a store where I could buy more empathy. Nope. <laughs> when no, you find one, yeah, capitalize I mean, I, on it. <laughs> I, I just, it's like, wait a minute, where do you, where do you get more empathy? Especially yeah. in a world, I mean, I come from the healing arts world. And I come from a world where people who label, they wear that label of empath, are the ones who come to me when they go crazy because they have such porous boundaries. Yeah. That they, and they don't yeah. have any control. They don't have any self-regulation. Exactly. So what I'm hearing is that we're not talking about the empathic person, the person who you know, gets whatever's going on around them. We're talking about somebody who's sympathetic with themselves. That's the, that's the start of it. 
when you have empathy with yourself, when you have self-awareness, then you're able to start picking up cues from people around you. So you're not coming from your conditioning, from what you, what you think the world looks like. You actually are able to put yourself in another person's shoes and see the world from their perspective. And you can do it by choice. It's not yeah. something that you get hijacked by when you're around no. someone who's got certain emotional state, because that's the problem with people who um, were traditionally known as empathic is that they yeah. just are not. And right. so they would get hijacked by whosoever emotion they were around. And there wasn't a tool, because I went looking for this for some of my clients, mm -hmm. a way for them to build their ability to be empathic and their ability to be in control of it. So it Absolutely. was a choice, a response, rather than just a reaction to somebody else's emotion. Um, yeah. This conversation is really important to me. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, to tie it back into, you know, the purpose of your, of your summit here, that teen suicide prevention or just suicide prevention, what we find is that we have a lot of high vibrational kids coming in. They're, they're evolved from where we are and they come into a world that doesn't suit them and they don't know who they are or who they're expected to be because they have teachers telling them, you know, to, to be this person and coaches telling them to be that and parents telling them to be that. And they, and they don't have, they don't have a framework for discovering for themselves who they are and who they want to be and who they want to be themselves with. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's where we get those lost souls is there's no connection between who people, you know, the person that people are telling them to be and the person that they know deep within them that they want to be. And it's bridging that yeah. through all of this discovery, through emotional intelligence, emotional agility, emotional responsibility, getting them to a place where they can say, oh, I know, I know who I am. So this the is... The world makes sense then. Wow. All right. So coming from a place where I grew up in a world that did not make sense, yeah. you know, and, and it was constant cultural shift. When you talk about the power of culture, um, the constant cultural shift that I experienced growing up, and I think most of us experience cultural shifts at some point, either because the identity in our family shifts, you know, whether it's through marriage or divorce or, you know, some, it just, it changes and who we are in the story changes and understanding that we can decide who we are in the story. We can develop a sense of self to write the story the way we want it to be written. And Absolutely. that's just an amazing skill. So I'm going to pop that um, link back in so that people who haven't heard of this want more information on it can actually take a free course. And here yeah. we go, there we go. And, and that's just lovely because free is good. Okay? Free is good. Um, free is good. Um, and something that is free and effective is better than good. Yeah. <laughs> and so better than good. And I know you're available in the very inspiring person lounge in the VIP lounge. So if yes. people have questions, they can interact with you there. And I'm going to invite people to come into seeing themselves as a very inspiring person, come into being part of the movement that is bringing neurogamification, not only into the boardroom, 
But what if it was in your bedroom? You know, what if you could interact with your partner or a significant other? You could interact with your children when you're reading them a bedtime story in a way that was more empathetic. That was recognizing your own authentic self showing up in all of your relationships just a little more. And so thank you, Brenda, from the bottom of my heart for being so supportive of the Make It a Great Day movement. I just, I love you and I thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks for the invitation. Always love, always love chatting with you. We will be continuing these conversations and I hope you'll join us. Thank you for being here.